Hi everyone, it's Tim Clare here. Just a little warning before you listen to today's show. Uh, it, it ran long. Uh, I, I'd always intended it to run about 10 minutes long. I'd made myself a couple of notes on what I was going to talk about. And then when I finished recording, what I thought had been a 25 minute episode had actually run to over two hours. And I'd entered some kind of fugue state uh, where I don't remember everything that I said. And I was late to visit my friend's house and uh, I was really confused and spun out. So just bear that in mind before you listen. I'm not going to, I realise there's a danger that if I try to over-explain it or over-apologise for the content, then I'm just going to only add to that running time. But just before you listen, be warned, here be dragons. Whoa, 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 jump back to me, my little paper frog. Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and every episode we're going to be guiding you through the hedge maze of writing problems with a chainsaw, just soaring a path from one edge of the hedge maze to the other. There's no point doing that, isn't there? But there's no point doing a hedge maze in the first place. It's an arbitrary problem created by posh people to delight other posh people and then later on as... Um hedge mazes and the relationship of people in Great Britain generally to uh, country houses developed uh, just became a sort of thing to delight and titillate middle class people who couldn't afford the houses but liked being lost in the garden of one of those houses. Why? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And then they became a subject of horror in, um, in the movie The Shining. Well, a subject of horror and salvation, actually, if you remember what happens with that? I'm not a big fan of hedge mazes myself. I think they're a waste of time. I prefer apps. Hi, everybody. Um, So this episode, I'm going to do something slightly different. Uh, because having got to 20 episodes, I thought, you know what? I'm going to abandon that format that's worked so adequately for me up until now and do something else. No, the reason being uh, that, uh, as some of you will have known, some of you have bothered listening to any of the, uh, on any of the other episodes, um, I'm about to become a father, fingers crossed. And... I think probably for the next month, my life is going to be a, a, a dizzying mire of poo and sleep deprivation and joy ofs. Uh, I'm delighted and I'm very excited to uh, to sort of invite this, not sort of, um, to literally invite this uh, strange monster into my house. I can't wait to meet her. I think it's going to be really fun. Um, I think it's going to be difficult as well. But the main thing it's not going to make easy is uh, recording a podcast. Unless, you know, you want to hear crying. The crying will be mainly mine. But um, I, I just I just actually would like to spend a month, you know, a, being a dad for the first time in my life and uh, having a go at it and just making sure I make the most of that that first month. After that, I want to come back. But I thought, you know... I said originally when I started doing Death of a Thousand Cuts as a podcast, I didn't know if it was going to be a complete disaster. I suspected it might be, but I said I'd commit to doing 10 episodes. Well, I've got to 20 episodes, double that, and I think that makes a nice point to sort of lop off as the end of the sort of first season of podcasts. So I'm going to go away, I'm going to have a think about what um what I'm going to do for the next one. I want to collect in more submissions for you because I'm running low on those and I, I need to do a sort of been doing some periodic call outs but when I was doing Death of a Thousand Cuts as a blog uh, I had such a backlog of submissions um, there was you know a period where uh, some posts got shared on Reddit and I was getting you know upwards of 50 submissions a day 
Uh, it looked like the backlog at one stage of the queue was over two years long for um, submissions. Now it's very much not. I've got I've got a couple in the hopper, and that's it. But I w- I would love. Uh, it, whether you um, whether you're a writer yourself, whether you've submitted before, or whether um, you could share it with other people, I'd really, really like to get some more submissions. I'm going to do some call-outs. I'm going to find some different channels of ways of uh, getting people to submit. But that's one thing I want to do. So when I set up for the next season, I'll be able to do some of them. Bam, bam, bam. I want to do some maybe some author interviews, maybe some agent or editor interviews as well all sorts of things that might help you have a little think about how we can expand the format because i think you know the core of the show is always going to be me looking at somebody's first page or maybe another part of the book but first pages i think are a really really good way and i think they microcosmically contain so many problems that appear all the way through a book but i want to I want, that's always going to be the core of the show because i i think it's handy i don't think it's really being done well anywhere else you know not with that kind of like level of rigor I think you know I've got lots of problems with myself as a writer and a human being but I think one thing I can do pretty great is take apart a first page in uh and draw out some principles that are immediately applicable that's one of the pieces of feedback I've got from you and thank you so much for all your help is that that's actually useful to you so that's always going to be the core of the show uh apart from I guess varying audio quality as well. That that's always like a little feature that I think of, you know, one of our USBs. But I'd like to do, you know, I'd like to keep the sort of format with two people. I think that adds something that just me chatting to you on my own doesn't have. I think me chatting to you on my own has its own unique charms as well. But that's all going to be. But I'd, so anyway, I'd like to get some submissions in. I'd like to. I'd love to get. If you're listening to me now. I'd love to get your ideas of what you'd like to hear or not hear. There's not. I'm not asking you to. I'm sort of asking you to provide content. No, I, re- I realise that's you know you don't expect to have to do that. But if you've got anything, you know, any questions, you I you know there's a, you can go on the website. That's timclairpoet.co.uk. You can just email me with your thoughts. If there's any particular questions you've got, some people have already done that, and that's really helpful. Thank you. But if there's any aspect of writing that you'd like me to go into in more detail just you know i don't i don't know I, i've tended to sort of stay away from the general kind of like this is how to do a query letter this is how to do submissions because i think so many people do that it has <laughs> it has come to my attention when i actually realize how other when other blogs talk about writing query letters or how to approach agents or what state your work should be in or how you do that professionalize it because it seems much more exciting that's a much easier sell right this is how to become a published author this is how to become a a famous author right that seems much more exciting that's more like uh that's kind of like being a preacher of the prosperity gospel and saying you know jesus is going to is going to heal your cancer jesus is going to make you a multi-millionaire because that's what he wants for you and all you have to do is believe all you have to do is pray all you have to do is give me money right that's exciting right people get excited people start whooping we're going to talk in tongues we're going to be like the charismatics we're going to have miracles we're going to you know i'm going to wrap snakes around me and they're not going to bite me that's exciting right and then there's some sort of poor <laughs> and then there's some some poor git in the C of E just going, well, it's a little less a little less exciting than that. I mean you will you know, you will go to heaven and be uh be sort of like you'll get to live forever, but it's a little bit more sort of complicated and dull like that. And the world's kind of we live in this uh fallen world, so um you may not be able to get healed or have any money because that's not necessarily very valuable. 
to to God that idea. So you might you might just have to suffer. Well, quite a lot of people in the Bible suffer horribly, and that is, that's less exciting, right? And and, and I feel like uh, I, I, well, I don't subscribe to either of those philosophies, but I do feel like sometimes I'm having to be like the boring one and going, well, uh, it's not quite that easy. Um, and maybe you should go back and just like work on your writing, and maybe you shouldn't really worry at this stage about being published at all. That's something that sort of isn't an accidental consequence of writing, but uh, it's certainly not. It's certainly not important at this stage. And it's certainly not something that's going to bring you happiness in the long run to be constantly thinking about the profession, professionalization and the uh, that aspect of your craft. Now, I'm sure there's people who disagree with me in this. You know, again, it's nuanced, right? And nuanced is, is slightly duller than uh, air-punching uh, boosterism. But some people have said, oh, it would be actually useful. And some stuff I read about how to apply to agents, I just think is, or publishes, is kind of bullshit. Also, since I started writing, with the sort of rise of self-publishing and Kindle publishing and ebooks as, for the first time, like a, a, a genuinely viable alternative to conventional publishing. Whereas, you know, when I started out, that side of... of uh, you know, vanity publishing was and self-publishing, aside from, you know, some very specialised books or poetry books where really there wasn't a huge audience and it didn't, it wasn't, you know, publishing with a small press or publishing yourself was really very much of a muchness. Um, now, I think that that whole ebook revolution is is a gen is a is a is a, is a genuine phenomenon. And uh, while I've got you know various issues with. Amazon as a company and how they treat their employees and um, their willingness to pay tax. On a, you know, sweeping all ethical concerns aside, I do think it's I do think it's a fascinating area. Um, it's also not an area that I'm in any way uh, qualified to talk about. So, and and I do think that there's a danger with a lot of people talking about it are simultaneously trying to flog you their book or trying to flog you their editing service or just trying to flog the idea of ebooks um, and self-publishing as a concept because they've got a massive dog in that fight a huge dog or perhaps quite a weak dog or perhaps a really lovely spaniel it might not even be a dog fight it might be a dog show it might be a little dog uh endurance test endurance test that sounds sinister a little dog sauna little dog sauna competition that they're all having but the point is um i think it's really easy to kind of get you know, there's a lot of people who are, I, I haven't, I haven't, I'm completely neutral on the thing of ebooks. Well, I'm not completely neutral. I think they're a good thing. I think they're, broadly speaking, a good thing. They're good for readers. Um, sometimes the way that the marketing works is kind of less good for authors. But, uh, you know, there's less authors than there are readers. And something that is broadly good for readers is, is I think, ultimately good for literature. So, you know, good for them but it would be good for me to get somebody on who actually knows what the fuck they're talking about is what what that's what i'm was sort of lumbering towards like a zombie horde um anyway so this show is going to run a little long it probably has already because i just i want to talk about a few things i want to things that i can't really when i'm talking when i'm going down is the micro cosm of, of looking at a first page and hopefully some things that will get you through the uh the wasteland of the next few weeks when there, I won't be doing a podcast. The podcast will come back, by the way. I've got no intention of going on sabbatical forever. 
Um, I, I realise that this is always going to be a slightly niche show, but at the same time, I enjoy doing it, right? And that's the bottom line. That's the reason I'm always going to be doing this, uh, whether it's on the blog or whether it's as a, a podcast, because I, I, I love doing it. I, I, I care about it. It's a subject that um, I really enjoy talking about. I really enjoy thinking about it. I really enjoy chatting to you about it. I really enjoy having feedback with people. I love having people on the show because um, writing's been my life, really. Well, you know, obviously I've got not wanting to paint myself a too sad a character. I have other interest but um ever since i was see writers are supposed to be writers are supposed to have this amazing imagination but since i was maybe four and a half five i've never been able to imagine doing anything else except telling stories i didn't know when i was four or five i didn't really know what people did as jobs i knew my dad was a teacher and that was really and i knew that i had teachers and that was really the only job i knew there were some police and and firefighters that seemed like something you were just sort of born into, kind of like a lineage. I imagine firefighters having, you know, laying firefighters like little eggs. But like, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know you could be a writer or a storyteller as a job. I, I thought it was something you would always do in your for fun. Um, <laughs> how, how, uh, how chillingly prescient those, uh, those, those thoughts seem now. But um, I always wanted to be a writer. And so talking about it now, um, and I, I've spent my whole life reading stories. I, I tell you what, the only time I didn't want to be a writer was around the age of 25 when I had uh, <laughs> when I had a colossal breakdown and I, I became very depressed and I ended up uh, moving back in with my parents and I was, I was really sad. And I've written about this um, probably more than necessary in, in my first book that I had out, my non-fiction book, We Can't All Be Astronauts, about wanting to be a writer. And um, that was that was the only time where I just thought, actually, you know what? This isn't worth it. This isn't worth it. And I, and I did, and I gave up, and I became a performance poet instead, which seems, uh, the, you know, the very definition of out of the frying pan into the fire oh i don't think being a professional author looks like a safely pensionable job i'm going to become a jobbing poet you fucking idiot what 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 like look at try and parse that as a sense as the acts of someone who isn't completely self-destructive and yet it's been the absolute joy of my life i don't regret it for a moment the people i've met the places i've been allowed to go the things i've been privileged to access the kind of lifestyle i've been able to enjoy because of doing something as stupid and reckless as following my heart is 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 wonderful and of course i've been able to do that supported by this great cushion of goodwill from people like my friends, my parents, people who've um, helped me out in all sorts of ways, all these people who've given me opportunities, who've given me financial help, who've given me a, a sofa to, to crash on, who've, who've invited me to do gigs with them, who've invited me to be involved in creative projects. I'm not at all trying to position this as um, this great piece of myth-making where it's, it's my courageous, courageousness that, um, that allowed any of this to happen. Uh, is more you know bloody mindedness rather than courageousness but um you know this is what i get to do and then just this little niggling thing i knew that i just i feared that i still had a novel in me that was the terror ticking away at the back of my head was that I, God, i've got this idea and i but i didn't consider myself a prose writer and i probably spent a good 10 years not writing a single bit of fiction and then uh, maybe slightly less than that, maybe eight years. And then 
it just I couldn't I couldn't keep away and I started picking away at it and then I got back into it really started from my point of view it felt like starting again and then book came right so I don't you know I, and I don't know what stage a lot of you are at I don't know whether there is a, a you know a, an archetypal death of a thousand cuts listener I don't know whether most of you have written a bunch of novels and are still working on it whether you are listening to this having never really felt like you can sit down and write something whether you're kind of like listening to this trying to work up the guts to start a short story or a novel you know you 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 read all the time you kind of love it you kind of have these ideas just buzzing around in your head and if you're anything like me what the, the the scariest stage is when you've got the ideas flapping around you know they're like these beautiful butterflies fly flitting around and the terror the real terror is that you've got these beautiful things you can you can see it you can see these glimpses of something great that makes you feel like you felt when you read that novel that you love that when you watched that movie and there's that scene that just makes your guts fall out um, I, I always think of um uh, in spirited away there's a long shot where the protagonist uh well chihiro stroke sen is climbing around the outside of the bathhouse and um she's on she's on one of these pipes and there's all water below and the pipe breaks and you've got this long shot of where you can see how far she has to fall and i, I just that feeling of like oh like i can't even dis- i cannot articulate the feeling of hugeness and mysticalness and why that shot is like the and this story with like full of ghosts and romance and weirdness and horror that that that, that should be a moment that sticks in my head but it's just a feeling of of total union with the story with the fictive world that um, makes it so beautiful and I've, I've had that with stories i've talked before about um reading uh reading william golding's uh, lord of the flies and there's a moment where uh, the climb to the top of the island and looking down across the island for the first time and he sort of describes the uh, the coral reef and and the tide going out across the rocks and the island being sort of vaguely boat shaped and for a moment as ralph is looking down uh, from this vantage point he feels as if the boat were steadily moving astern and i remember reading that and um nearly falling over um i like my inner ear tried to compensate for the movement of a boat that wasn't there because i was so into that world and into that moment and absolutely had merged with the story and so uh, and so you have these ideas right and i know i'm not speaking to all of you but some of you some of you may have the 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 courage and the bravery and it really is to dive in and just start writing your story and i want to tell you now if you don't give yourself credit for that being fucking brave look around the world at the number of people who don't ever start that story because they're terrified you may think it's no big deal right now you're in it you realize that it wasn't as scary as some people find it but some people never let themselves get that far and 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 the fact that writing you know consistently tops out as people's number one dream job you know in the uk certainly i'm sure it comes high in many different in many different countries 
because people because we love stories because it's one of the primary acts of being a human being not to sort of mythologize my own work. i am immediately of course i'm self-mythologizing of course authors will always tell you how important stories are won't they because because that's what they do and they're just being self-aggrandizing it's nonsense but at the same time you know you're brave for having done that and those of you who are struggling who are at that at that precipice who are pressing against that membrane wondering i get it right you see those ideas flitting around those beautiful sparkling butterflies and the terror the terror that you might take these beautiful wild animals these ideas these ideas that you you've that have been delighting and taunting you for so long that you might reach out and you might place them under the killing jar of your own technical incompetence and watch as one by one they thud onto the cork board twitch and stop moving and become cold and brittle and dead and they will in the in the first draft i, I can't continue this metaphor um, to a satisfying conclusion, but in the first draft, you will make a hash of it. You really, w unless, if you don't, if your first draft is perfect, then congratulations and I fucking hate you, you monster. But, you know, you're going to take these ideas and you're going to try and render them alive. You're going to try and preserve them in some form that so you can give them to other people because it's a profoundly generous act what you're doing right you you see these things this bird of paradise just soaring around your head trailing this kind of glittering effervescent multicolored music and you go wow i want to show that to other people and then you get out your crossbow and you shoot it and kill it and then you've just got this moldering corpse and the plumage has lost its luster and it's like it's sicked up a little bit of sort of pink stuff out of its beak and 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 uh it's and it's suddenly not it's not magical it's kind of gross and tawdry and tragic and and, and this idea that then you're gonna like hand that over to other people and say pay me pay me enough that i can live off the proceeds of this of this wretched butchery that i have wrought um you know it's preposterous right and that's where a lot of people a lot of other people and we don't hear about it because they they, they do it in shame and in silence and on their own but they, that's where they stop you stop doing it you go okay uh i'm not meant to be a writer because look i just botched this i just killed an idea and and so you can just go around with those ideas the number of people who go around who i speak to who will start telling me you know when they know i'm a writer when we get onto this subject when i do uh readings or i do stuff at festivals and they come up to me and they'll tell me their idea for a movie for a story whatever um and and they're great ideas but they've been might have been carrying them around with them for 20 years because they're because they're scared because they know on some level you start writing that down and it's gonna be it's gonna be disappointing it's gonna be shit you're gonna hit as soon as you start trying to plant that seed and work on it I mean, you're gonna hit problems you're gonna realize areas that in your mind you didn't realize were fuzzy you're gonna hit logic problems anyone who's like tried to work from a plan and trying to write it into a story you start hitting inconsistencies you go why wouldn't you've written a scene you've made yourself a little a little plan for it you start writing you go why if you're awake to the story, if you're alive, if you're in there, you're going to start writing something. And the characters, if you're if you're in any way inhabiting the writer, you're going to go, why the fuck? Why do they just give up in this scene? Why do they surrender? Why don't they? Why don't they run? Why don't they say no? Why do they believe? Why does she believe him in this scene? What 
possible reason has she got to be there? That doesn't make any sense. And you can either sort of, you can either carpet over the hamster, uh, metaphorically speaking. You can go, right, well, I'm just going to pretend that I haven't noticed that that's logically inconsistent. And a lot of authors do. A lot of writers of commercial fiction, you get moments in their stories where where they clearly notice that this is bollocks, that this makes no sense. And sometimes they'll put a little note in almost say, he thought about disagreeing with her. He thought he, he didn't. He did, could that be true? He wondered to himself, what, re, what possible reason did he have to believe her? But then maybe she was right. Maybe he should believe her. And you're like, no, no, no. You've noticed that. You've written yourself a plan. You've, and so you get all these things and it's hard and it's tough and it can, it can, feel, it can, it can feel so deflating. You can, you can feel like you, you know, that you had this wonderful, <laughs> you had this wonderful uh, revelry, this where you were taken away by the fairies into this, into this kingdom of dreams. And then you've just woken up in the morning in a ditch, having shat yourself. I mean, that hasn't literally happened to me. I'm, it's a, again, it's a metaphor. But, you know, it's, it's such a come down from those ideas. And I, I, I'm using jokey metaphors, but it really can be upsetting and deflating. The elation and initial rush and high of an idea versus... The reality of trying to put that on the paper, the, the 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 contrast can make it feel like drudgery, like utter drudgery. And and any of you who are writing who recognise that from your own work, you've ever had a moment of that, um, you're not alone. And I think that is, you know, we get so many writers talking about why write, why breathe. I must write. It's the most sustaining thing for me. Well, fucking good for you. For a lot of us, right? It doesn't feel like that a lot of the time. It feels like work. And I think there's something past that. And I think there's uh, value to it. But I think let's be honest about that. Now, so what I said I was going to do is um, I've got, I wherever you are, whether you are nearly finished with a novel, whether you've just finished a novel and have on my first question to you would be, have you really finished the novel? Have you just finished a draft of the novel? It's probably what is probably closer to the truth. But maybe you've, maybe you're working on a novel. Maybe you're working on some short stories. Maybe you dirtle away with stuff in your spare time. Maybe you haven't written anything for six months, for nine months, for a year, and you feel like shit about yourself. Maybe you're stuck on something. Maybe you've put something aside. You're writing, working on something at the moment, and ugh, it just won't work. Maybe you're writing six different things. Maybe you get up every morning and you do your 2,000 words on your project like clockwork. It's not like clockwork, is it? That's not how clockwork works clockwork isn't doesn't write things but um what wherever you are with your writing process maybe you've never dreamt that you'd be allowed to write and you're kind of listening to this secretly like a little dirty uh, little uh, uh, like a dirty little fetish your writing is and um something that you don't acknowledge in yourself for fear it might grow um and then and fear you might be discovered what wherever you are with your writing um i've got seven ways in which by the time I come back you can become a novelist so these are seven ways to make yourself a novelist and they're not seven different ways these are all intrinsically linked they all flow from the same 
river. They, they are all from the same source. Um, you need to do all of them. Uh, but they're, they're also just serving suggestions, so don't feel guilty if you're not doing them. But these are my seven ways to become... Seven steps to becoming a novelist. No, that's better because that makes it sound incremental. That suggests that they're all linked. Um, seven steps to becoming a novelist. And if you do these in the four odd weeks that I'm away while I um, enjoy the beginning, the first fruits of fatherhood, um, then I'd suggest by the time the second season starts, you will already be a, a, a writer and novelist. I mean, I know there's a, there's a lot of this talk about writers write. If you're a writer, just write. And it's kind of tautological and shit and seems helpful, but it's also a bit dismissive, isn't it? It's just like, well, just fucking write. And then you're a writer, just fuck it, just write. Loads of people write and they don't produce books that other people want to read. And also it's just, it doesn't actually deal with any of the problems that as a writer you will face. So, and also you shouldn't have such a constrained sense of your own humanity that, to purely think of yourself as a writer. If you do, it can be nice, right? If you go and do book, if you go, as I've discovered, you go and do book events and people go, oh, Tim Clare, the author. And you go, oh, that feels good. That feels, that strokes my ego a little bit. I'm an author. <laughs> um, it's bollocks, right? You're a human being and that's the primarily what you are. And, and the more you can focus on that, the easier and uh, less stupidly pregnant with meaning writing will be. So seven ways that you can become a novelist. Number one, inspire. Now, I'm using inspire uh, not in the transitive sense. I'm not saying you should inspire someone else, although that's, you know, I uh, understand that's how we normally use it, that someone you, to be inspired, that you get inspired, that inspired is, you know, from the original Latin sense, is, you know, is, is you're being breathed upon. You're being breathed into. The, the act of creation is a breathing upon or a breathing into, and it kind of it, it breathes this spirit onto it and, and it brings something to life. So the so it, being inspired is normally thought of as a rather passive process, right? That either you're, you, are, you, are you feeling inspired? Maybe you're just not feeling inspired at the moment. This idea that, that inspiration is something that's sort of out of your control and comes down from the heaven and sort of this magic star-shaped one that kind of goes boink on your head and then you're inspired and you can write. Uh, kind of bollocks, right? I think that is kind of bollocks. Although it can feel that way sometimes, it, it, it sort of diminishes all the invisible practice we do to make that moment possible. The the, the cultivating of a, a, an awareness, the cultivating of a, a love, a cultivating of that sense of sort of being in the world and looking for stuff and drinking stuff in. Because the other meaning of inspire is to breathe in to inspire to breathe in and I think that's what you need to be doing first of all is breathing in content and breathing in style which means doing that thing that so many authors recommend and and, and it sort of sound it's irritating when they do it it's it they sort of like have the um sort of uh chipper uh clubby aspect of of, of a sausage uh cheerily advocating the um the qualities of pork but when an author goes you should read 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 they say and then you often publishers when people editors when they're asked how what are your tips for aspiring writers read 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 well of course you're in the business of flogging books so you're just like read read, read. Yeah, you do we do read but it's really useful and i think um especially as you kind of like 
push on with writing and maybe if even if you become a professional which i i don't doubt that anyone listening to this uh this podcast has got the ability to write an excellent novel that lots of people could love i, I genuinely believe that and i i think it's actually not you know it, it, it it's something to do it's more of a decision than a than a the innate innate talent and I, I think if you're listening to this now you definitely have that ability but and you may well find yourself at some stage in the role of a professional author and at that stage you don't start like it's very easy to start like <laughs> cutting out and shaving off all the things that sustained your practice up until this point, which is why, hence, a difficult second novel syndrome. You know, that, that thing of someone suddenly finding it very difficult to write a second book with an extra pressure. But often it's because you've stopped reading, you've stopped inspiring, you've stopped looking for stuff. Now, I've, I've got a pile of books here. I've got... Work in this. I'm so lucky to work in this beautiful office. My dad helped me put up a set of shelves, and I've got all my books up in front of me. Well, a bunch more downstairs. But it's wonderful that I every day I get to stare at this wall of amazing books, and I can pull ones down and look at them. And I, and my bottom shelf is all my reference library. It's my it's my books that I use for spot research. It's my books I uh, sometimes just pop down to just have a little read for fun. And I thought I'd um, tell you some books that I found particularly useful on the subject of writing that I think you would find uh, hugely useful. I'd certainly, I would really, really, really recommend them to you. If you if you can pick them up and read them over the next four weeks, read a couple, just read one. Um, I think, you know, reading about the art of writing is a really, really good way of sharpening the saw. Um, first off, um, I first read this in a bookshop in... In Beijing, I think I found it on the shelf and picked it up just because I could see it was a writing manual and then was like, oh, my fucking God, this guy is absolutely on fire. He is knocking it out of the park. I, I looked up from the book like, is it, is no one else getting this? Holy shit. This is um, On Writing Well by uh, William Zinsner. Uh, oh, William Zinsner. Um on Writing Well by William Zinzer. I will put, uh, I'll list these in the show notes of this show. I'll, I'll, I'll write them all down. Um, so if, because I'm probably going to butcher people's names and the titles, don't worry about that. If you go onto my website, timclopert.co.uk, you can go on there and I'll have a list of my, some of my recommended reading lists. I've talked about some of these before, but I just thought it'd be worth mentioning them because I, th I think they're so good and so few people that I meet have actually read them and you'll suddenly just ingest, and then you probably won't need me anymore because you'll you'll have all the knowledge because this is where i get it from um so on writing well um the classic guide to writing non-fiction now don't let that put you off because a lot of it is a style guide uh, uh, zinzer is um is talking about how to just form decent sentences and as you know i, I fucking love sentence by sentence analysis it's so rare in in um modern creative writing pedagogy to actually go what the fuck is this sentence doing is it doing a good job this i've sat through numerous and i sat through it sounds pejorative um well it was kind of meant like that but i would you know i'll i'll stop this parenthetical comment but there, i've got some thoughts about that i sat through numerous uh, creative writing workshops and there is a culture of i really like what this character was doing but i um Maybe you could show your heart more in this scene. I just, uh, I liked uh, the sense of, I don't know why I'm doing them all as this kind of like a, a dopey, sort of like vaguely, uh, vaguely kind of like a mid-Atlantic accent. But um, I really like this, uh, the, 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 the rural scenes, the, uh, the rural agrarian uh, landscape is really uh, beautiful in your story. But uh, 
I would, and I would have liked more of that. I think, you know, just a sense of not too much, not too much, you know, not not so it overwhelms it, but maybe you know, just a little more on the cornfield, you know, the movement of the corn, maybe how it smells, you know. I, but I liked it, a little more of that. I think, like, like you know, honest reader reactions, but to a certain extent, busy work. People are kind of dirdling around, sort of uh, saying things for the sake of having an opinion. Stuff that actually isn't going to make the story any... No one has added more rural agrarian scenes, uh, you know, details to a scene and, and suddenly made a story brilliant. And and I, I'm speaking from experience because those were a lot of the stuff that I was made to cut out of the honours when I wrote it was just me going, you know what, I've done a bit of research on conifers. I'd like to talk about a conifer for a paragraph. Well, that's that's beautiful, Tim. You've really evoked the 1930s, but can we get on with the fucking story? And I still had too much, even when it went to print. And every, every, every bit of overwriting in the story was, was a result of me personally arm wrestling and fighting for its inclusion right i that was not my editor's fault not my agent's fault that was that was me and my self-indulgence i was like i i want to talk about sparrows more but but zizna is just so zinzo so fucking hell that's not his name zin zinza I don't know how to pronounce it. William is is amazing. He is amazing, and he's so good. And um, a lot of writers will get uh, be sort of advice to read uh, Strunk and Strunk and White uh, and their uh, English uh, is it modern English usage their book um, because you know as a style guide. But I really think I really think that he is spot on and so good. And he talks about those you know those pages on punctuation you know the full stop the exclamation point the semicolon the dash where to use them why um a whole section on adjectives a whole section on little qualifiers prune out the small words that qualify how you feel and how you think and what you saw a bit a little sort of kind of rather quite very too pretty much in a sense and dozens more they dilute your style and your persuasiveness don't say you were a bit confused and sort of tired and a little depressed and somewhat annoyed. Be confused. Be tired. Be depressed. Be annoyed. Don't hedge your prose with little timidities. Good writing is lean and confident. He's a fucking genius. And he's just thorough. That's all he is. He's just saying stuff and he's just getting to the point and he is just drilling down into the sentence-by-sentence level of writing and going, what works, what doesn't. Now, of course, there are exceptions to everything, and I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to write in this lean, clipped, journalistic prose. But I think the more you read about these things, the more conscious you become of your prose style, and the more every element of what you write becomes a decision rather than you sort of drifting into a wheel rut and a habit. So um, that's On Writing Well by William Zinzer. Um, I, will put a, uh, uh, I will put that down in the show notes because I think it's a fantastic book. Now, um, next up, How to Write Science Fiction and Fantasy by Orson Scott Card. Orson Scott Card, as far as I can tell, seems like a not very nice guy in terms of his sort of general opinions about human beings and his sort of, uh, sort of random, sometimes dog-whistly bigotry. But my fucking word, can he talk about writing science fiction and fantasy? And actually, he does a really, really good analysis of um, 
Octavia Butler's Wild Seed, the opening of that. He does spend, spends almost a whole chapter um, picking that apart and explaining why it's such a fucking good opening to a fucking good book. And that's it. It made me go and read the Wild Seed Quartet, which uh, is really, really, really good and moving and complex and rich and, and a brilliant piece of science fiction and fantasy. Even if... No, no, that's not true, right? Um, what I just said is true, sorry. I, I thought of another thing. I do think that the Wild Seed Quartet is amazing. Um, I was about to say, even if you don't read science fiction and fantasy, this is a really important book to read. It's not. If you don't write science fiction and fantasy, it might be interesting to you. It's not an important book for you to read. If you do write science fiction and fantasy, however, um, it's really, really, really thorough, precise. He's spot on when um, Orson Scott Card talks about magic systems uh, and kind of costs and things like that. It's fascinating and uh, really spot on. So if you're writing any fantasy that has magic, um, you have to read this also i would really recommend a reading um oh what's it who am i who am i thinking of now i'm just flaking on his name i would recommend that you read brandon sanderson's uh laws of magic sanderson's lords uh, laws of magic which i think uh probably develop on some of orson scott card's ideas a little bit but are, are really spot on i, I, I Brandon Sanderson can do magic systems like no one else and he's, he's justly uh proud of of his talents in that area because he just has just thought about it has just thought about it has just given it some thought and tried to analyze why something works and why something doesn't work and then once you've got that once you've abstracted those principles from from a genre you can use them and you can change them you can subvert them you can do all sorts of interesting things um Orson Scott Card's Mice Quotient, where he talks about um, all stories contain four elements that can determine structure. Melieu, idea, character and event. While each is present in every story, there is generally one that dominates the others. So he talks about each of those uh, of those four ideas. And I think um, his Mice Quotient, sort of a paradigm, is a really useful, interesting way of thinking about writing your SF story. Um, again, like it's just like the three-act structure, like any of these things... Uh, you don't need to know it to write um, a lot of the ideas from it you will have sort of like implicitly abstracted from books you've read anyway um, but it can help and it and again it just makes you conscious of these choices you can ignore them you can disagree with it but immediately you've got something to bounce off of and you're more conscious of it and uh, it just sharpens your creative mind so um that's uh, how to write science fiction and fantasy by Orson Scott Card very slim volume um I think with sort of very little very few words wasted. Um, next up, uh, Ian Forster's Aspects of the Novel. Really, really famous. Uh, excuse me. Really, really famous creative writing manual. Uh, referenced in a lot of other writing manuals. So you, eventually you just have to get it to it because so many other uh, writers are sort of talking about Ian Forster and, and his his definitions and how he chats about stuff. Very entertaining. He's so he's 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 very he's very catty. Uh, he he gripes about stuff. I you know his tongue's firmly in his cheek for a lot of it. He's a bit snooty about commercial fiction, uh, but he's kind of joking as well. We kind of know. I think he's self aware enough to know what he's talking about. Um, and he talks about the difference between that and literary fiction. Talks about the difference between flat and round characters. The difference between plot and story. Now his definitions don't really tally with modern usage especially with i mean i think his his 
how he splits round and flat characters is kind of it's kind of arbitrary and a little bit subjective and a little a little bit bollocks right i i don't i don't think that he's correct on that but it doesn't matter because he's making a rhetorical point and he's entertaining and it just gets you thinking about it's like you start looking at minor characters and stories and thinking is this character a round three-dimensional character or are they a flat character they only have one can they be described in a sentence or are they more complex human being and what are the functions of those two and he argues that both a flat character who's sort of like a little bit one note a little bit of a joke a little bit of a sort of can be described in a sentence has a function in the same way that a fully three-dimensional character has his distinction between plot and story i've talked about it on previous podcasts is is just it's not true really it's not it's not he's not using a usage that anyone else uses um, a lot of people consider he, he sort of anyway i won't go into it now but um uh, because i did that before but em forster's aspects of the novel really useful and it's kind of like a foundational text for a lot of other creative writing pedagogy especially it sort of came at a time in the you know in the 1930s was like a, the real explosion of how to write text because of the cheapness of um paper at the time because of the explosion in hollywood you know there was, there was a huge disparity between the demand for books and actually the number of people of writing it was a booming industry and so those you know people that was the first time that really that um creative writing teaching took off uh and um and, and i think ian forster came at just not at just the right time to sort of um to feed in to that first wave and um it's a re i think it's a really really interesting uh and often quite funny read aspects of the novel um Next up, Samuel R. Delaney's About Writing, Seven Essays, Four Letters and Five Interviews, which is such a dull subtitle. But um, Samuel R. Delaney, also known as Chip Delaney, I think he's, I just think, I just think he's one of the best writers about writing I have ever read. I think this is a little bit, maybe a little bit higher level. Um, it's maybe not like a first how to write book. Um, he's, he does go into first principles. He does go, he does sort of like boil it down to the basics at times but he's really he he's also going in quite in quite a lot of depth and he talks about experimental writing he talks about all sorts of different things um but i just think the acuity of analysis that uh delaney puts into this is 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 phenomenal i've not found i've rarely found it elsewhere i was gonna say like ursula le guin's the language of the night which is another if you read uh, science fiction and fantasies all these different essays on science fiction and fantasy and the writing thereof that's absolutely superb superb book and i think um her and uh uh samuel R. delaney are sort of my two favorites in terms of writing about writing um his actual novels the ones that i've read sort of i have mixed feelings about i i think he he, he does a lot of interesting failed experiments he started writing incredibly young you know he was a a real prodigy and uh i think therefore we can forgive him for some of the uh some of the youthful infelicities in some of his work some of the bits that you know i you know in, well i won't go i won't go into stuff now but it's it, it's interesting but he's always he's always interesting he's always interesting always hugely intelligent and challenging often uh you know very controversial often upsetting but never ever dull and never ever thoughtless and he's never ever ever phoning it in always always um his novels have this you know great 
a momentousness to them. He he he's trying something uh, different, and and because of that, you know, pioneers rarely get it in the middle of the bat. Um, he he uh, he he doesn't always sky it, but um, really interesting, and he um, I I just the science fiction world owes him a huge debt uh, but he just talked he talked he's so interesting writing about writers um there's a, a section one of the essays um one of his essays of doubts and dreams has a, a bit where he talks about his three pieces of creative writing advice that there's three pieces of creative writing advice that he gives to other people that he actually finds himself using all the time now i think from reading the other essays and other bits that he's actually obviously if he only had three things to say about creative writing it would be a very short or um or very discursive and repetitious book he does have much more to say than that but um i just you know they're absolutely fascinating uh so here he goes i pass them on for what they're worth the first comes from theodore sturgeon he put it in a letter he wrote in the 50s to judith merrill who quoted it in an article she wrote about sturgeon in 1962 to write an immediate and vivid scene sturgeon said visualize everything about it as thoroughly as you can from the dime-sized price sticker still on the brass switch plate to the thumbprint on the clear pane in the unpainted wooden frame to the trowel marks sweeping the ceiling's white, white plaster and all in between. Then do not describe it. Rather, mention only those aspects that impinge on your character's consciousness as she or he in whatever emotional state she or he is in, elated by seeing it for the first time, bored carpenter anxious for lunch, wanders over the squeaking planks beside the paint-speckled ladder. The scene the reader envisions, Sturgeon went on to explain, will not be the same as yours, but it will be as vivid, detailed, coherent and important for the reader as yours was for you. Now, I'm, I'm not going to go... I'm not going to go through all. I mean, I'll, I'll leave you if you want to hear his other two suggestions. Um, I'll leave you to buy the book yourself. But that's uh, Samuel R. Delaney about writing. And I say all the essays in that, the letters that he's written to other people. Um, his just description of the writing process and uh, his, his description moment by moment of the writing process and the imagining imaginative process is, is fascinating to me um and i think helpful as well otherwise i wouldn't suggest it, it would, if it was just a sort of dry intellectual analysis of the writing process i would say it was sort of fascinating but not useful but it's i really really think that having a look at that will help you um so those those are some books that i think are are useful i also suggest um the art of writing fiction by andrew cowan who um teaches on the uh creative writing ma at uea the university of east anglia that's where i did my creative writing my fiction ma um i think it's a really really sound and thorough book he's um a brilliant creative writing teacher and and a great author and um it just sort of distills a lot of different it's got lots of different exercises in it which is is fantastic you want that in a book another book that i think uh, does that particularly well is steering the craft by ursula Le Guin, which is the sort of distillation of a of when she taught a creative writing course she taught and i think having um a book with uh with sort of exercises in with like little workshop exercises that you can either do on your own or if you've got a creative writing group you've got some other friends you want to work through it with even better um with lots of examples of actual other books that you can go and read um it's fantastic so that's the art of writing fiction by andrew cowan and steering the craft by ursula Le Guin. both of which i'd really recommend a sort of like little mini little mini creative writing courses that you can sort of sit down start and work through i think working through a sort of uh, section of um creative writing exercise it's just a really lovely sort of low pressure way of, of getting into writing of kind of like it's just you need that little writing gym so um 
the other parts of so this is number one the number one is inspire inspire breathe in content breathe in style so of course that does mean reading books as well um read books uh, read books as close to the work that you're working on for your idea idea of your novel or stuff you want to write as you can so many people say i don't want to read that because i don't want to be influenced by it it's stuff that might be close to what they're doing they're terrified of reading and realizing they sort of say they and then they'd start plagiarizing it but actually it's that fear that actually what they're doing has been done already and as long as they just remain willfully ignorant of it they can never be accused of plagiarism bollocks always always steer in to the thing that sounds it's going to be a bit like yours right always steer towards it because one you'll usually find it's not that close to what you're writing it's not that close and there is difference two if you find that people have already thought of the ideas that you've come up with that you felt so great when you came up with that night maybe just fucking trust yourself a little bit to come up with something to modify your idea to tweak your idea to change your idea so it is now original you will have the resources if it's already been done it is not as original as you first thought and 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 trust yourself to do that little bit of extra work that changes it into something that is surprising that is new that is how you make something original it's not a flash of inspiration in the middle of the night where something comes to you fully formed it's it's a series of course corrections you know maybe with that initial flash of excitement yeah absolutely there's nothing wrong with that it's not that's not f- false you're not giving in to uh you know silly uh fripperies of emotion but if you can if you can trust yourself to, to go and read those books and and see what's already been done, see the mistakes people have made. You'll read something. Oh, this is bollocks. I don't want to do this. Or this is do- oh, I see. Or you can make your work speak to those books that already exist. You can you know what the tropes are. You know what reader expectations readers are going to be coming to your book with. They know what they're looking out for. You know the, the you know the the idea that sword and sorcery is a genre. When someone writes a sort of sword and sorcery book, they are the reader has already done quite a lot of work in terms of bringing cultural expectations. If you write a book about vampires, now my just saying the word vampire has immediately brought this whole freight of cultural expectations in that I can now do with what I want. But it's actually, it's actually, it's actually quite a sort of like lean and pithy bit of cultural shorthand that means I don't have to do lots of setting up work or I can use those expectations against a reader I've got all sorts of interesting choices whether I'm working within established tropes or whether I'm doing something completely new but you need to know your you know the the background the 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 soil in which you are planting your seeds so that's another thing you've got we're going to be you're going to be looking at these books about writing you're going to be setting yourself a reading list of stuff to like dig into and go right what do I want to know about what do I want to find about what do I want to educate myself what do I want to if you're going to write about something you need to be you you don't need to be but why not be how exciting to be the expert you can choose to make yourself the expert in that field and then and then and then how could you not write something brilliant right it's not it's it's not about proving yourself it's about the excitement and the wonder of adventure so and that's the final thing I'd say in terms of this number one thing inspiring is 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 to just like live a bit you know let yourself go on research trips to places you think you'll find interesting make sure you get out the fucking house you know doing exercise i'm not going to evangelize about exercise for ages because i know you're bored of hearing people say it but it's been one of the most useful things for my writing practice Um, and when i've tried to kind of like cut that out to give myself more writing time always backfired get some exercise get you know get out of the house 
you'll see things you'll see people people are this fucking endless font of inspiration and material i know that sounds mercenary but they are and the world is just is just heaving with stories and 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 you're not you're going to miss them unless you unless you get out of the house and you go you go hunting for them like pokemon you know you you get out get out of the house and and, and see stuff and do that and, and and recognize that that is a legitimate part of being a writer you're not avoiding stuff it's not avoidance behavior it's not displacement activity reading about writing reading actual novels and enjoying them and letting yourself take pleasure in them and going out the house and traveling and seeing your mates and and living a life are essential number one inspire number two the second way that you're going to become a novelist by the time the podcast comes back daily practice now all that bullshit oprahified stuff about seven days to make a habit 30 days to break an addiction is has got no uh, clinical evidence to back it up at all there's no we, we we don't know how long it takes to make a habit sort of uh motivational gurus will, will will cite all sorts of figures without without studies to back them up and and and, and to a certain extent look they you know studies only exist if someone has paid to make them exist so we shouldn't always uh cite the lack of empirical evidence as a reason to disbelieve something but also you just can't make up bullshit claims can you like that yeah it's it's not a reason to disbelieve something but also it is a reason for me to not say if you do something for 30 days you will um that will become a habit we don't know we don't know but i'd suggest to you that um that writing is partly about breaking down your resistance to to the to the big sort of project and this big fear of writing you know like it's you just have to get into this place where it just becomes normal and it's kind of like it's almost like a it's almost just like a dull thing it's just like cleaning your teeth right you should all be cleaning your teeth guys right but um just you can make it natural and so what i would suggest to you as a starting point whether you write every day or not is 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 a 10 minute free write every day yeah the yes we're talking about the old the old morning pages, as there, as there, as, uh, was it Dorothea Brandt who talked about morning pages? The old morning pages, right? This idea of like just giving yourself a, f- a ten-minute free write. When I want to say free write, I mean give yourself like flick through a book, get a sentence or two words together um, for a title, write that title down at the top, set your mobile phone or a kitchen timer for ten minutes. And then write and do not censor yourself. We're not looking for deathless prose. You might write, hello. Oh, gosh, I wonder what this title makes me think about. Oh, it makes me think about also my title. And so let's say your title is uh, Golden Lion. You go, the golden lion stalked through the forest looking for hunters to eat. The golden lion was made out of light and I don't know what I'm going to write next. Maybe there were some coconuts. Yes, the the golden lion flew up into a coconut. So you're writing total bollocks, potentially. Or it might be coherent or you might write in half sentences. You, If you make spelling mistakes, it does not matter. It's kind of like raw. It's it's just creating. And and the purpose for that is is, is not that you then finish the 10 minutes go hey, hey i think there's a novel here um pop it in an email and, and and send it to penguin the reason is i mean you could do that i'm not i don't want to don't want to clip your creative wings but the reason that you're doing it is just to slowly build up this sense of you're being a writer i i, I really if you're still listening to me now um i really really if they if you do one thing i sort of, i sort of beg of you to experiment 
with doing seven consecutive days of, 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 of doing a free write for 10 minutes just to see whether that how that affects you whether will that make a change i would suggest to you from my experience of having done it, it it's one of the most profound shifts in your sense of yourself and your um your creative mind and your subconscious working for you you can possibly do um, especially if you do it early in the day if you do it just before bed um that can be useful but if you do it as early as you can if you can get up 10 minutes early if you can just find a space in the first half of your day to do 10 minutes 10 minutes of of a free write do it on the bus do it wherever right do it in a pad do it on your computer tap it in on your phone whatever you spend the rest of your day having written right because we tend to sort of like reset in our minds once we go to bed but you spend the rest of the day having written feeling a bit like a writer and it's you know it's a it's a kind of like psychological con job but you know you start then looking at the world in a different way the way that you perceive the world the way that you strip mine the world for the purposes of your of your fiction um it changes and you you slowly just get to a sense of yourself as someone who writes and it's no big deal if you don't believe me fucking do it i'm asking 10 minutes a day 10 minutes you set the timer for 10 minutes you write complete bollocks you, by taking a, a, a title from somewhere I would love to hear how you get on I really 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 recommend it because it's just such a small commitment I know you can do it and just see what happens after seven days if it's not working for you if you don't feel any different by all means stop doing it but I wonder I wonder I wonder could that be because it's sometimes these small shifts that can that can leverage disproportionately huge results in your writing and the way you think of yourself and especially if you haven't written for a while especially if you've got like this third finished novel that you are feeling turd about especially if you if you if you're feeling low in confidence why not have a go at it what what possible harm can do you well you might feel silly but then that's something for you to notice notice that resistance notice that feeling if you're starting to do it and you're thinking to yourself oh, this isn't this is pointless that's notice that voice in your head but i've found it hugely useful and i think also if you are writing professionally and you've got into a sense of like writing always being a project everything you write always being you know is, is something that's going into the sausage machine that is going out to be sold as product right there is something hugely liberating about titting about and reminding yourself that creative writing is is a game and it's silly and and we we we, we tap in to our inspiration and our creativity and all the kind of like magical shit that makes writing really good the fucking that vein of just mm, we tap into that when we when we give ourselves permission in controlled doses to fuck about and do silly things and and, and that's what i would suggest to you 10 minutes every morning for seven days just give it seven days and let me know how you get on you can get in touch with me timclairepoet.co.uk via my the contact me link on the right of my website I would, if you manage to do it for seven days let me know if you did it i would love to hear how you get on whether it makes you feel any different about yourself or if it's just complete bollocks or oh, but just congratulations if you have the gumption to give it a go um so that's that's my suggestion for number two for being a becoming a novelist by the time i come back daily pack practice number three the third way to become a not the third step in becoming a novelist plan 
Number three, plan. I don't care if you are a discovery writer, a, a seat of the pants, or if you just like to sit down and go, one day Edgar woke up, woke up and found that his testicles had turned into a beehive. Um, I don't, you know, if, and then you just see where the story takes you from there. I'm so sorry that I went immediately for the balls. I went straight to the balls, rampaging straight to the testes. But I don't care whether you're someone who feels like you need to not know everything. You want to sort of like dive in and, and, and see where the story takes you. Um, let's just think about the big picture. Uh, you need, I think, how, whether your style is, you know, a really sort of like meticulous kind of like planner and drafter and scene sort of like sketcher outer, or whether you just like to sort of fly into it as a kind of like as, with this kind of like with the kind of wild... A uh, stylish brio of uh, someone riding a bronco. I, I, I think you need a couple of north stars. You need a, uh, some focusing um, principles or mantras that are going to guide you through the process. Something that gives you, because if you do not have a plot to follow, you certainly need some kind of theme or tone or idea or question that is just guiding you through some scent, some spore that you're tracking. Um, so this is less about actually writing chapter by chapter, guys, which, as I said earlier, um, sometimes often, actually, when you get down into the kind of like uh, meat and potatoes of, of writing a chapter, you'll realise that the stuff you've planned to happen in that chapter m doesn't make human sense. It's it's bollocks. I'm having that now. I'm, I'm 183,000 words into my first draft of... Uh, the sequel to the honors and you know there's a lot of stuff that now i get to the scene i'm just like that's a fucking stupid thing to do why would you do that well because well because i want them to do that so they can move into the next set piece but they wouldn't do it okay well the story is going to have to either that you're going to make the story shit or the story is going to have to change and actually sometimes the solutions you come up with to that and the that, that that creates a bit of conflict right the solutions you come up with that if they're good if they don't just steamroller over the problem can make the story more interesting right but i think um it's worth it's worth thinking about what rather than sort of like knowing every chapter it's worth thinking about your big set pieces um so many authors and i think this is something that authors don't really talk about very much but actually a lot of novels authors kind of come to them by imagining a few set pieces a few like fictive moments a few sort of like showdowns and i don't mean uh showdowns in terms of necessarily sort of like a uh uh, a sword fight on a bur on on the gondola of a, a burning zeppelin uh but you know em emotional showdowns or, or or just a scene or a moment or it, it can be visual it can be sort of like an emotional sense it can be the point where this thing is revealed and this character confronts the other it can be a set piece involving um, one character who uh, is, a, is a glass blower versus a, another one who comes in who's um, been horribly burned down one side of their face um, it can be anything that um, resonates with you it can be an image of a, a boat across a lake on which burns an oil fire it can be um, a sort of like scene of the sun setting over a uh, over the Appalachian Mountains, it can be anything that speaks to you. But I think so many authors end up, the first thing that they formulate are like these little set pieces. And we never really talk about it, that actually our, our, our novel, you know, we, we, it's because it's much cooler to talk about big themes, right? You go, why did you write your novel? Well, I wanted to talk about the scars of war and 
human loss and how we deal with that loss. I wanted to talk about the unreliability of memory. People say that all the fucking time, don't they? I want, I'd like to talk about memory and how we change memory and how we culturally manipulate memory. I, fuck you! But it's already been done, right? I, I don't care. And actually, the truth of it is probably you first engage with a character. Like I'm not saying those are illegitimate themes. A lot of them are my themes, right? That I love. But actually, theme is, is dull and theme is... Uh, cheap and theme is common and theme it, we can go anywhere for theme and we and, and and there are not that many themes and a lot of them have been done but it's the particularity of your treatment and investigation of that theme that makes a novel sing that makes it memorable that makes us care about it and it may resonate with values or ideologies within us but actually the most interesting thing is those set pieces is that dramatized moment is that is, is that moment where the scene is actually the engine for human interaction. Human drama is 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 the engine for sort of intellectual electricity sparking across these different characters and these different moments and this different dialogue. And that's where it comes from. So I think the, the planning is more about you thinking, okay, so I've got this idea for this character or this book or I've got this uh, science fictional concept or I've got this idea of an era that I want to write in or I've got an idea of a, a job I want my character to have or I've got an idea for this theme. The thing that I think you need to ask yourself that I think a lot of authors who end up writing a novel that works um, informally without realising it have asked themselves is okay so what what dramatic moments does this set up? What scene? What's going to be okay what's my climactic scene? An exercise I often do with creative writing groups is getting them to invent a novel they invent, invent an author, uh, a novel a, a, a novel of a particular genre. They give that novel a title. They give that novel a blurb. And then I get them to write the novel's climactic, uh, an extract from the novel's climactic scene. So all they've got is a made-up blurb for a made-up author of a made-up book. And they write that climactic scene. And so often it's fucking killer. Honestly, it's sickening how often that climactic scene that they're not writing without knowing anything else about the book is just it's just balls out wonderful um in a way that i think shocks them as much as it does anyone else they're like oh shit is it that easy and it's like yeah because you actually you went for it you went okay what's the best thing that can happen and and so i think thinking about that in terms of of, of whether it's a a showdown a an epiphany, a realisation, but those moments, where are they going to take place? Who are they going to take place between? What's going to make that interesting? What are the cliches and pitfalls that this kind of genre normally falls into? What what kind of like electricity does this theme allow to grow? I think asking yourself, that's the kind of planning that I think will lead, that is initially the test of an idea and will lead to interesting and exciting things uh growing and that and and that will and that works so well as a north star to draw you through the book knowing that these scenes are coming whether you you i mean you can jump ahead and write them straight away and then know that you're that you're building up to them and setting them up but um knowing that you've got these set pieces that's definitely uh how the honors worked for me it was is i knew that i had just a couple of fucking golden set pieces that i knew i don't mind saying that to you for all the sort of like uh cartilage self-indulgent cartilage in between there are some set pieces in that book that are fucking good right and and the reason that they're good is because those are the ones that i came up with first because it's like if this bit could happen oh god I'm, that is gonna be lovely 
that's going to be so ex- and I was so excited to get to those bits and then I got to those bits and it felt I felt quite pressured actually I was like what if I balls this up now um, and I did and then I rewrote them but thinking of your work in terms of set pieces uh, I think can be really really useful and it's difficult to define what a set piece is sometimes if you sort of like actually put a gun to my head and, and ask me to give you a working definition I would struggle um, I, I would lie obviously because you'd have a gun to my head but um. I, I think uh, I, I had a conversation with with uh, a writer friend of mine, quite a long phone conversation where we tried to sort of hammer down what a set piece is. Often, you know, an extended riff. It's often set in one. Is it not limit, It's limited by time. I think um, there's a bit in Gravity's Rainbow that is one of the bits that I always think of when I think of set pieces, where uh, a character is just is made to eat a succession of increasingly disgusting boiled sweets. Uh, uh, by a solicitous woman. I've, I've actually, I've got it up on the shelf here. Just wait, wait a second. Oh, I look at that. I, it's got, it's, it's. Got, well, you can't look at it because this is a, an audio medium. But it's actually, there's a, um, there's a receipt tucked into the book, and I wonder whether I've tucked that. Could it be that I've tucked the receipt? Into a receipt from a sweet shop, no less. Have I tucked it into the bit that I'm talking about? Um, oh, you say <laughs> I fucking have. Oh, nice work, past Tim. Right, so this is um when the character um Slothrop. Yeah, I mean, Thomas Pynchon is not for all any you know one thing you could not accuse uh, Pynchon of. It's being overly subtle, right? He fucking he lays it on super thick. Um, but this is on um, the character Slothrop. I'm going to Mrs. Quotes. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, so he, he goes in and she starts trying to offer him a bunch of, a bunch of sweets. Now, <laughs> she brings out from behind its, um, so I don't, I don't, I'm not going to know how to pronounce a lot of these words. She brings out from behind its creton camouflage a great bowl of candies. Now, beaming at Slothrop. Here, wine jellies, they're pre-war. Now I remember you. The one from the graft at the Ministry of Supply, but he knows from last time that no gallantry can help him now. After that visit, he wrote home to Nalene. The English are kind of weird when it comes to the way things taste, Mum. They aren't like us. It might be the climate. They go for things we would never dream of. Sometimes it is enough to turn your stomach, boy. The other day I had one of these things they call wine jellies. That's their idea of candy, Mum. Figure out a way to send some to that Hitler and I bet you the war would be over tomorrow. Now once again he finds himself checking out those ruddy gelatin objects nodding he hopes amiably at mrs quode they have the names of different wines written on them in bas relief just a touch of menthol too mrs quode popping one into her mouth delicious slothrop finally chooses one that says lafitte rothschild and stuffs it into his kisser oh yeah yeah mm, it's great if you really want something peculiar, try the Burncastler Doctor. Oh, aren't you the one who brought me these lovely American slimy elm things, maple tasting with a touch of sassafras? Slippery elm, jeepers, I'm swallowed. sorry, I ran out yesterday. And so on, right? And it goes on and on as he's fed more and more of these disgusting... And, you know, uh, Pynchon's description of the vileness of how, how, how they taste gets some... Um, gets gets worse and worse he really sort of like starts pushing it and uh pushing it uh <laughs> you've taken the last <laughs> at which point slothrop is encountering this dribbling liquid center which tastes like mayonnaise and orange peels 
and 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 and, it, and it's just this increasing sort of like building uh this riff this virtuoso riff on where the game of of the scene is i think if you know if you talk, thought about it in terms of a sketch the game of the scene is uh how disgusting can this get and how can slothrop get out without doing injury to good manners and um and it's it's a brilliant scene and it's they don't all have to be comic but i think there's just something lovely where and i think it is something that sort of particularly works well in literary fiction um where you're you 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 take a riff you take an idea and then you see how far you can push it you see how far we can extend this metaphor or this idea or this scene we can see and and you know often it's you know like it has it has this um subtle emotional arc to it as well it's it will be a moment of development or revelation or conflict for the character um whether important or in this scene deeply unimportant but uh it just it's it and it you know i wonder whether the the set the set piece is in some way again as when i was thinking about a lot of the examples they did tend to be from from male writers and i wonder if there is something slightly showy offy and slightly douchebaggy about doing a set piece and i would like to think that's not true and that's more to do with my ignorance of um thinking up uh female novelists who've done sort of big set pieces but i do think it's a really really interesting technique and and, and i think um whether you're writing sort of like showy um pinchon-esque set pieces or a sort of more subtle uh you know more sophisticated in many ways at set pieces it's a great way to start thinking about your work so number three plan number four number four in my series thank you for sticking with me this far um completely unscripted this episode so a little bit of an experiment but i just wanted to do something special uh in every sense of the word for the final episode number four in ways to become a novelist research now this is not a displacement activity not a displacement activity not a displacement activity research is essential for good writing uh, write what you know is is this sort of such a such a, a viciously dull truism from the creative writing pedagogical movement and yet so so important but it's it's so often misunderstood so often glibly tossed out so often thrown in and and never really um interrogated now i think write what you know is important because if you want that crunchy specificity that i'm always farting on about you cannot do that without some kind of um without some kind of splendid intimacy with the reality of your novel but um don't ever let your knowledge limit what you write about just be honest if you don't know something expand your range to encompass that thing and i, I really really think that you should never let yourself be limited but um, but then be diligent and brave and ferocious in expanding your knowledge to meet the requirements of excellent prose i i had n- absolutely no interest in the 19 in 1930s england um before i wrote the honors i had no interest in firearms happy people don't don't know all the guns do they but my main excuse me my main character delphine knows all the guns she knows so many guns she names her pets after machine guns she loves shotguns she has opinions about the difference between an over and under and a side-by-side break barrel shotgun she doesn't like pump action winchesters or remingtons because you know she thinks that 
it's it's not very good for it's not it's, it's not very good for um for wild fouling because the noise can disturb the birds and also you can fire twice in quick succession with a with a side by side but she thinks a side by side is better than an over and under because a side by side distributes the uh, stress from the, you know they, all this stuff that I don't give a shit about right I do not give a shit about uh shot patterns over 40 to 60 yards and the kill rate of different let um different gauges of shot I don't care about that I don't care about uh you know a a, a choke barrel versus a sort of a, a, a flared barrel i don't i don't give a shit about any of that i don't like guns i'm a pacifist i hate war i hate violence i i but delphine isn't she's 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 a completely different person to me and so i had to so i could have just not written about her right i could have just written about a a, a sweaty bearded author and i did for my first for my memoir right that's what i did i wrote by myself and uh and and i could have just rewritten that i could have just updated it every year right it would have been shit and but i didn't i didn't want to make i did that wasn't what it's about i wrote about someone completely different to me with a completely different background to me but we're because we're human beings there's something that connects us immediately so you're allowed to write about whoever you want from whatever background you want as long as you take that challenge seriously and you and so i spent years researching it and I threw myself into it with a with a an ex- uh, with a with a with a sort of obsession and a level of diligence that was hugely destructive to my personal life. It wasn't really. Don't worry. I don't mean. I'm making jokes that might make you feel worried for me. No, but like I really, really cared about it, and it was it was you know I threw myself into it with a huge and I took it hugely seriously, and and then I and then I was writing about what I knew, but also um, in terms of characters, I was writing about what I knew because I, Delphine doesn't represent um, a, a class or a type of person. She's just her. So she's, you know, I was writing about a character who I came to have an intimacy with because I wrote scene after scene after scene with her in. And that is its own type of research when you write about your characters and you discover them and you make them face conflicts or tribulations and they reveal themselves through that and you learn more about them, which makes you more capable of writing about them in the next scene, which is why that you're never truly qualified to write your first scene until you've written the last. Because at that stage... You now know your character fully. You can now go back to the beginning of the book and you can now truly start to write scenes with them in, which is why by the time I got to the end of the uh, honours, the final scenes that I wrote, which weren't necessarily chronologically uh, where they appeared in the book, were the easiest to write and I think the fullest and richest and most believable to me because I felt like I knew that character so well that I could could write scenes with her in without with very little thought um, in terms of her involvement in them because I knew exactly what she would do, what she cared about, what she would think. Um, so that's another form of research. And, and it changes you. You know, like the, I, just, I suppose the only part of the honours that I was interested in was had a vague interest in secret societies. But the rest of it, I didn't care about. I didn't care about the country. So, but like, I ended up having to go to various country houses to do research and go out into the countryside because Delphine likes spending time in the woods and on the country estates and hunting things and you know being out in the Norfolk countryside and I spent a lot of time out in the Norfolk countryside researching and I was researching and I had an interest in what was around me because it was all potentially material and and so I started to associate going out and doing these things with interest and satisfaction and kind of joy and wonder and then slowly I didn't mind just be getting older as well but I started to take great pleasure in being in the countryside and I'm like I am like a card carrying nerd right I love playing Nintendo DS playing board games being indoors not going outside 
and I just started to take huge pleasure in the outdoors and the wonder of nature and I it it's changed me right it changed me that process and so you know what you start to notice can it will start to feed back into you and I think that's one of the great pleasures of research is how it influences you and how it feedbacks it feeds back into your life and how often the things that you chose to write about that seemed quite arbitrary at the time actually sort of speaking to part of you that you didn't really know uh, you didn't really realize about and it's why I think a lot of authors get this that stuff you write about ends up having this sort of weirdly prophetic is too strong a word but like it's sort of eerily prescient um, element to it where it prefigures things in your life events in your life changes in your life changes in you know uh, changes you go through because I think it sort of ends up speaking to you and it feeds back and and it's I think that's one of the great pleasures you can take out of your fiction if you take research uh, seriously, and, I, and when I say seriously, I don't mean that as a kind of like in the sense of an odious duty, but I, I think as, as, as something that isn't, oh God, I've got to do some research to be allowed to write this. It's not about giving you permission, although it can really be freeing to have done it. It's, it's about giving you material. It's about making it so that every day when you sit down at your computer, you'll be, you'll just, you've got these scenes, those, those set pieces I was talking about in the previous step, right? That the, Those set pieces, those I, you know, I bet, you know, Thomas Pynchon is fucking awful in Gravity's Rainbow for including every single piece of research he's ever done. I don't get the sense that there was any piece of research, any detail that um, he found that he went, you know, what? I don't think that's relevant to the main thrust of my novel. I'll leave that out. I think he, I think he threw everything in and I think that's bad. But, um, you know, you, you will have a surfeit of material, of exciting things. You'll find anecdotes when you're reading through people's diaries. You'll find, uh, you'll just see weird. I've got all these books on my shelves to give me inspiration from different things. I've got a, I've got a, a, a hardback book um, which is just black and white pictures of um, clockwork automata from uh, through the ages. I haven't used a fucking bit of that yet. But at some stage, you, you can guarantee that there'll be a character and someone will walk into their office and they will have a... Um, they will have a smoking clockwork monkey in a velvet suit on their desk because it's fuck. It's cool, right? It's interesting. It's weird. It's macabre. It's gross. But it's it, you know those that level of detail. It will it will give you so many gifts, and I think and it will change you as well. And, that, and that's the beauty and excitement of research. So it's something you take seriously, not because um, otherwise you're not allowed to write about it. Not because you have to be the most knowledgeable about the subject that you want to write about before you're allowed to do it but because it's this sustaining um river of again it's just part of that number one inspire it's you're breathing in all this material and it will and and it will make and it just it's magic the effect it has on your writing and the, the honors was the first book that i really took research seriously for i'm so glad i did it was a huge pleasure for me and it and it just as it just means that there's bits in that book that i'm just like yeah that's fucking interesting and crunchy and spicy and redolent and just real and I'm just like yeah that's it that's there we're we're there we're there and so I think you can do it and so all but also sometimes when you're in the flow of writing you suddenly realize you don't know something you could just go well I don't I'm not allowed to write about it because I've got to write what I know and you kind of stop in the middle of mid flow so there's a, a few things you can do for what I would sort of refer to as spot research so research that you just do in the moment to sort of fill in a thing and sometimes you can just go I don't know this you leave yourself a little marginal note come back find out what this is and you come and you can come back to it later that's one option another a book that I really think everyone who can you should fucking hunt this down and get it It'd be, it's I think it's only available secondhand now but it is so many authors um, I know swear by it. I found my first copy um, 
on my grandfather's shelves while he was still alive. And I said, and I looked through it, and I was like, this is amazing. And I said, and he does, he never used it. And I said, oh, can I, oh, can I have it? And he said, no. And quite reasonably, he said no, because also you, you can't just like go around someone's house and say, can I have this book? I think that was cheeky of me. And I, I bought a copy myself. But now I've inherited his copy, so I won. No, it's no, it's really dear to me because of that association with him. And he was a huge... Uh, influence on me and I, I really admired him um but uh the reverse dictionary by reader's digest is a is a is a book where you look up the sort of vague thing and it gives you the pre- precise thing so say um i'm just going to flip through it here so say you wanted to let's look up uh dentistry concerned with the diseases and tissues and supporting structures surrounding the teeth periodontics Rubbery latex substance used in electrical insulation and dentistry, gutter percha. So it it gives you specific um, terminology for stuff uh, that you might not be able to think of. When so, if you want, you just want a passing reference to something, and you want to just give it that um, sort of sort of spot spray of authenticity, just to make it feel a bit crunchier, a bit more realer. This is a great. A great book. There's a, you know, so you look up eye and there is a, an exploded diet colour diagram of the eye um, explaining all the, naming all the different parts. So the iris, the suspensory ligaments, the ciliary body, the sclera, the vitreous humour, the choroid, the retina and, and, and naming all of them. So if you say had a character who suddenly had to dissect an eye um, because they were, say, you're writing a crime uh, novel and they were... Uh, and they were in a room while someone was doing an autopsy, you could just fucking drop in, get those little bits of terminology for an eye as it's dissected, and it would feel like you knew what you were talking about, right? It would sound like you were doing a sort of level of autopsy, that your autopsy would sound sort of like have the patina of professionality and authenticity about it. And that's a lot of what being an author is, right? It's it's lending yourself falsely or not, because the whole thing's a con job, right? But uh, giving your authority into your authorness because that's where you know that's the the linkedness of the i mean that's bollocks isn't it i, I was tr- gonna try and make some uh spurious point based on etymology but like it is about r- great fiction so much of it is about authority um it's about people trusting you and and I, I just really really recommend the reverse dictionary i think you'll only be able to get it second hand online now probably um i've got hardback copy whenever we see um copies in in secondhand bookshops we just buy them up uh, we went round Hay on Y, the largest concentration of secondhand bookshops in Europe, I believe, and went round the whole of Hay on Y, and and bought up every copy in Hay on Y when I went there um, as part of a writing uh, retreat, and 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 nobody regrets it because they're fucking great. I love it. I've also got lots of other little books. I've got um, well, obviously I've got Jane's Guns Recognition Guide because of Delphine and um, her love of stuff, but I've got like little pocket wildlife books. Um, got just like and i just pick up little reference books here and there i've got a book on um, mushrooms and toadstools um so so useful i've got a book on weather which has descriptions of different cloud formations which can be really really good if you just want to remind yourself of what different clouds look like and the names of them 
and what west weather they presage as well really useful i've got a, a sort of a bird spotting guide a tree guide again it's not going to be appropriate for all your characters to know every bird that they see and be able to name them and but it's it just gives you that option of like oh you there instead of a bird flying past you can look it up and even if your character doesn't know the name of it you can get some beautiful descriptions of them what kind of birds will be in that area that time of year and you can just describe it and you can give it a bit of and it and it just lends your whole book the um, the richness of, of, of life. And I think it's really, really useful. So I've got a bunch of stuff like that just all over my top shelf that I can I can take down and, and sort of borrow from at different times. And I suggest that you slowly, informally, if you can, start building up a li- library. Obviously, um, funds willing. And, and if not, then, you know, go to your local library and start kind of like collecting stuff informally. Um, and finally, and I'm sure you do this already, but um, Google Image Search is a, is, is, is a fantastic resource for just when you want to describe something. And if you're like me and you don't know clothes very well, you are stupid when it comes to clothes. Um, it's really useful to be able to type the name of certain types of clothes and th- things that you're like not even sure if that is a real type of clothes. You're like going, is that what I think it is? Is this material? Is the material I'm thinking of actually... What is what is bombazine? What is it? And like you can you look it up and you and you put these terms in and you can see stuff. I know you know how I, you put these terms in. You know and you know how Google works. But that's I think really useful as well as a final sort of like. And that's why I think this idea of like switching off the internet is is is, is as much as I uh, understand the temptations of Facebook and Twitter and you just definitely shut them off between uh, nine and five while you're writing. Uh, it's so so useful. I, I spot check all the time for Wik. I have Wikipedia, uh, Dictionary.com, Thesaurus.com, and Google Image Search are my four tabs that I have open constantly while I'm writing because they're so useful. So that's our number four research. Step five in making yourself a, no- a novelist: community. Um, hunt down writing buddies. You need them. They're so important. Um, crush them to your chest until they stop struggling and, and, and they lie limp and broken at your feet. Hide the bodies in your attic, wrapped up in tarpaulins and soaked in bleach. Leave bowls of baking soda around the house to try and soak up the smell. F- fend off inquiries from your concerned neighbours. Haha, <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. No, but like you need, you need writing buddies around you. So important. I find it so much easier to write, um, especially when I've been having a, a, you know, a bit of difficulty with motivation or sort of like really beating myself up and procrastinating. Setting up a little writing date, meeting up with one or two or three or four friends, inviting them round, going to a coffee shop, whatever. Setting yourself a little writing time, say, right, we can all write for in silence for half an hour. Sounds grim, right? But it's actually quite a nice thing and fun thing to do. We'll get a coffee, whatever. We're going to write for an hour. You all write. There's a sense of community and sort of shared labour there. You're all doing it. It's really nice. You'll want to sort of stop at some points because you go, fuck, what did I write? You look up. You can't interrupt your friends. They're writing. They're getting on with it. Oh, maybe I'll just go back to it. And it just, it, there's something about it that's hugely supportive and it helps you keep going. And at the end of that hour, you stop. How are you getting on? Oh, yeah, okay. Who wants a cup of tea? If you're around someone's house, you make a cup of tea. Maybe get some bickies out. Are we ready to go again? Start the timer. Off you go. Now, obviously, this is dependent on having some friends you know who write, but you can do it over Skype as well. You can um, find writers online and and sort of like agree to meet, you know, over Facebook Messenger or whatever and say, right, we're going to start at 7 p.m. Right, we start at 7 p.m. Everyone writes and then you get back together at the end of that and ask how you did it. 
how, how well you did. You can do little writing sprints. You can do writing marathons. You can set aside a whole Sunday and do it together. You can go on writing retreats. I've done a lot of that and found them some of the most relaxing and productive weeks of writing I've ever had. I mean, the last one I went on, I had a severe vomiting and diarrhea bug went round the house. And when I say went round the house, I mean, it moved like like a murderer in a slasher flick flick from person to person day by day it hit and it was a 24-hour vomiting and shitting bug and it got someone then it moved on to a next person then it moved on to a third person i was like it's going to be me next it was me next oh my god just like i was gonna say i'll spare you the details but the, the, the details aren't very interesting just like um violent diarrhea and chundering for 24 hours like shaking headaches and then I was fine again. I still managed to write 12,000 words that week, despite having 24 hours of that just being a, a, a shuddering poo bagpipes, basically. And and it was because I was surrounded by other people who were writing, who were in the same boat as me, who 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 had a commitment to writing. And um, I, I think it's really useful. And if you can find people like that, if you can if you can find people that ask you know, ask them, can we, would you like to write together? Would you like to meet up and do some writing sometime? Can we support each other? Because that is going to make such a difference to your life. And if you can't, then you need to go online and you need to find supportive writing communities so you can get that through Um, because it, it helps you so much. I, I cannot emphasize. And if you, I mean, and that's the difficult thing, I think, that when people become, go on to their second novel, you know, difficult second novel syndrome is such a thing. And this may not, if you haven't written a first novel and you're not yet a uh, a professional and being professional doesn't isn't sort of like um doesn't make you more legitimate I don't mean it like that but if, you, if you're not um if you haven't sort of written a first novel that you were super happy with and that you've managed to find a readership for I mean, this may seem like a an you know a nice problem to have being on your second novel and finding it fucking difficult but I think part of that comes from when I first when I wrote my first novel and it wasn't my first first novel obviously I'd, I'd written several novels before then that were just shit that I hadn't, hadn't got anywhere but when I was writing the honours I really let myself having not written for eight years or whatever I let myself go to writing workshops I asked friends for help I, I, I wrote with other friends I went on creative writing retreats um, I took my time um, but I really reached out and found a community and drew that community around me and asked all the writers that I knew I, I lent upon heavily for assistance and help and could not have done it without them. Could not have done it without them. I'm certainly not to any level of quality. I mean, you know, I might have stumbled through a shitty book, but like it was good because of all the help that I was given from um, people who are better at writing than me. And I, I think you deserve that and don't be ashamed to go out and look for it because it's so huge and, and, and you know again if you don't feel if you don't feel legitimate if you don't feel deserving of being a writer if it feels a bit silly to sort of like take it that seriously then um it can be difficult to reach out for um to, to find a community to find your fandom to find your um community and friends who, who want to do that with you because it's kind of like admitting that you want it and it can just seem a little bit much but um, it just makes the whole process um, so much easier. And it's a fucking hard process. So it'll still be difficult, but it'll be less difficult. And I think you owe that to yourself. And I, and I hope that this um, podcast, for what it's worth, you know, it, it can be a small part of that writing community, can be a small part of your sense of being part of something wider. Because, um, you know, I, I really, really wish you so, so well with your writing and um, I do this because you know writing's a little bit lonely for me as well which is why you know I don't mind being 
the uh, the the crazy guy in a room on his own talking to himself. I've been talking to myself for a long time now. This is the first episode I've done sort of completely unscripted on my own, and I'm I'm just in a room talking to you on my own, like a like a weird lighthouse keeper. But um, it's because I care about it, and I you know so I I do these things not really for you at all, or but partly because. It's so useful to me to to be part of that writing community. And I think, um, and some people, look, and and to be fair, some people um, get more attached with the label writer and the community of writing than actually fucking sitting down and doing the words on the page. So don't ever, if you find it's overtaking your practice, if 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 you become attached to that community and that sense of identity, then um, that's a warning sign. And you might need to go and re-fall in love with process again. But, it's really useful and I, I really recommend it. So, um, community. Step six in becoming a novelist. Take your time. There is no rush. There is no rush. There is no rush. There really isn't. Um, momentum helps, sure. You know, once you, uh, like I said before, if you can be doing your little 10 minutes a day, little 10 minute play a day, um, that that can help. That can start kind of like creating a sense of, that something is moving, that something's shifting inside, you can start getting a little bit of um, critical mass. But the best way to guarantee hiding from your work is to hammer yourself with deadlines and guilt. That's why I think morning writing can help, like I said before, because you have this sense of having already won the day by doing your writing. But I don't want to turn that sense of like, oh, you should write into the morning in, in, into, a, into a duty. Um, I don't think that's helpful either. But just set aside some time for writing. Like that stuff about doing it with friends helps it to feel like a treat. I think you, as long as they're not a holes, then it kind of it makes the writing something you look forward to because you get to see your friends. Maybe go on a writing holiday if you can afford it and you've got the time and you've got a supportive partner unless your partner writes as well. In which case, good luck with that relationship. Um, look, I, I, I've done loads of writing holidays and and they were really fun really productive but also they've got some really treasured memories of hanging around people with people that I I love so you know it just helped to cement this sense of associations of writing being fucking good fun and something I care about um if it helps which I'm sure it will set up a reward system maybe if you're sort of super organized you can um doesn't it doesn't really take any organization at all open an excel file if you've got if you've got microsoft office or similar or an app or whatever and just log the amount of words you do each time you sit down. Because every time you sit down to do a little writing session on whatever, I'm not saying the number of words you do on your novel. I'm saying including your bullshit fuck about uh, free writing sessions where you just write gibberish. I'm saying including the writing exercises that you do if you work through a writing book, um, note them down and log them. And every time you reach 10,000, you know, do something nice for yourself and pick what those things are going to be, nice things you're going to do for yourself beforehand, you know? Get yourself that clothes you've always wanted. <laughs> I don't know anything about clothes. I don't know. Get yourself, uh, buy yourself a clothes. Or if it's not going to be financial, right? Because, you, know, you know, I hesitate to sort of suggest you give yourself uh, you know, a food reward every time um, just because I, you know, I would be eating... S- no, I don't know whether... No, I don't know. See, again, that's me being judgmental of myself, right? Because I'm going, I'd be eating so much cake. Maybe I deserve a bit more cake. Um, 
and the yeah you and you go oh this is the problem right is there this idea of we live in this kind of like fallen hellish world where you know ma- ma- humankind cannot you know is is intrinsically lazy and we need that we need the scourge of punishment if we're if we're to do anything otherwise we'll just sort of like fall into this morass of of idleness not true right you're going to get 10 times more done through carrot than stick i guarantee well i don't guarantee it um, I suggest you test that hypothesis because I bet you haven't fucking tested that hypothesis. Anyone who feels resistance to that because you don't know how lazy I am, you don't know how much, how feckless and idle I am, test the hypothesis first, right? Because I'll bet you that you avoid a lot of writing because it makes you feel shitty about yourself. And so if you learn to associate by giving yourself some nice things when you do it, even if it's just, you know, if you've got these writing buddies, if you set up this community... Having someone who you can contact when you reach that 10,000 words each time, each recognising that every bit of writing you do is pennies in the piggy bank, whether it's towards a novel, whether it's just you're doing creative writing um, exercise, whether you're just farting about, it's pennies in the piggy bank, it's strengthening your craft, it's strengthening your creative muscles, it's genuinely huge amounts of work that's going to help you out. So... Every time you reach that 10,000 words, if there's someone who can, you can go, hey, I just hit 10,000 and they can go, yeah, fucking well done. Yes, yes, that's great, right? That's going to make you feel good. Um, And then you're more likely to write and you're more likely to produce more. Um, I think, you know, maybe you avoid writing because you're actually hugely skilled at protecting yourself and avoiding pain. You're you're so alert to that that you just go distract distract and then you're on facebook and youtube and you might not associate yourself as someone who sort of like particularly suffers from writing who finds it particularly hard but you might also be someone who doesn't do very much because you're so skilled at that that you actually always manage to distract yourself before you get started in which case let's find ways of that you can you can use this pull motivation to draw you through um now now writing an entire good novel does involve some pain but you're not wicked or feckless if you if you wish to avoid that pain you're not stupid or or useless or lazy it's natural I, i think we seek happiness and pleasure and we avoid sadness and discomfort that's just an expression of our mutual humanity and not your lack of suitability to the writing life so going oh this is rubbish when you read a a bit of writing doesn't mean you've screwed up or that something is wrong but it may mean that after reflection the scene you're writing needs a bit of work that's part of the process right like feeling that pain i think is is not a sign that you're going wrong it's a sign that you have discernment that you have a certain amount of wisdom and you have some standards um and and the trick is to keep going when you feel that being you know being selective about what you include in a final draft will mean more moments of dissatisfaction with your work than if you just wave everything through um and the main thing is just to not let that dissatisfaction with what you're writing bleed into dissatisfaction with yourself as a human being. Um, and I think that that's another reason why having writers around you helps, because you can, if you set up regular workshops, and I know all, a lot of this you know, sounds like it's quite a lot of infrastructure, but it, I think ultimately it's really helpful. If you can have times where you can get together and share your writing with other readers and talk, talk about each other's writing, um, you know, you could do it online, you could do it over Skype. There's loads of different formats you could do it in, but um, there are people whose presence will help you keep going, even when you want to stop. I always um, I went for a run today in the woods, like a ridiculous parody of masculinity as well, where we humped logs up hills. When I say humped, I mean sort of like in the army sense of carried, not humped, as in shagged them up hills. If I could shag a log all the way up 
a massive hill, though. I would imagine I'd have to be in pretty good shape. Now, I carried logs up hills and did lots of running and sort of like chin-ups on trees and monkey climbing and stuff like that. And it was great fun. It was also like quite painful and horrible at some stages. And there were moments where I thought I couldn't go on. But it's good for me because, um, uh, you know, especially as someone who has an anxiety disorder, a lot of the time when I experience discomfort, I associate that with a panic attack coming on or something unpleasant about to happen and I run away from it and I flinch from it and it was re- it's really good to be there and the re- but the reason I could continue is because I was around other people who were doing it who were supportive who were kind and who were helpful and I always find I can work out harder and I can enjoy it more and I can keep going I can push myself through barriers um the ultimate you know wisely push myself through barriers not force myself to do stuff out of a sense of self-loathing when I'm around other supportive people and I think that is true of writing as well it's it's true of so many things and I, I think it's so useful um, to have people around you so you and you continue writing um, and you produce stuff for those workshops or if you're doing a little writing date you continue writing partly out of embarrassment right because you don't want to be the twat who didn't bother doing it partly out of a sense of fellowship and responsibility to your fellow writers who are doing it as well. And, and, and you might surprise yourself, right? That discipline, it, 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 we associate discipline as such a grim, foreboding word, but it's ten times easier when you've got friends around you saying, well done, little further, you got this. If you just do little and often with your writing, you'll be surprised at how quickly your novel comes together. Just pick away at it. Oh, I've got 20 minutes while the pizza's in the oven. Set a timer on your phone, write for 20 minutes in the kitchen. That's okay. Don't be like, oh, that's just dirdling around. What possible difference can I make? I might only get three sentences. Three sentences is fucking great. Well done. Um, If you've got five minutes, if you've got five minutes after this podcast finishes, why not just do like five minutes of writing? Write for five. If you can find a little app or wall chart where you can log all these micro sessions in, or like I say, like a, a... just open an excel file that you've always got on your computer that you can just dot it down so much the better but the the point is not how is this going to materially contribute to my novel that i will sell it's about you every time you do this it is pennies in the piggy bank it is make it is contributing to your ability and you, to, as a as a novelist right none of it None of that, that five minutes is not lost and it sets off a train of thought and it, 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 it pivots your whole day and the course of your whole day and it sets off a train of thought in your mind and, it, and it, that keeps going. The kind of burn from that five minutes of creativity keeps going long after you've finished the actual writing. Look, the less rushed you feel, the easier your writing will become. It's so easy for us to get into these guilt trips. And for those of you who don't feel guilty, who who manage to write your 2,000, 3,000 words a day, I'm, I'm sorry you're having to listen to this, but it's interesting to know how kind of like lucky you are and how blessed you are. And I'm not suggesting that it's not because of your own kind of like intelligence and discernment that you've got there, but be aware that a lot of a lot of writers do not find it as easy as you do. And... Um, and, you know, hold on to that and look at the practices that you've got that, and the positive self-talk that you're doing that's allowing you to maintain that in case at some stage in the future you hit a slump um, and, 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 can't, and it seems inexplicable. Um, this is the reason why and, and you have all the tools to get out of it. There's no hurry. There's no hurry. There's no hurry. Take joy in your writing. It will come. Number seven. Step seven. <sighs> Do you remember... <laughs> Do you remember, this is the last one, right? Step seven in becoming a novelist. See it through. If you keep stopping in the same place, your 
you'll only learn how to do beginnings. Um, there's value and pleasure in finishing stuff. It's valuable to learn about the process of redrafting, of shaping and restructuring, of polishing. And you can only do that if you hold yourself to a standard where you come back to stuff. Where you, I get so much stuff submitted to Death of a Thousand Cuts over the almost three years. Actually, it is more than three years now I've been doing it. Um, so much stuff. I, you know, I say in my submission guidelines very clearly, please give me, ideally you have finished the novel and you are sending me the, the first chapter one, page one, um, of a finished novel that you have worked on, you have redrafted and redrafted, and this is the best you can get it. But fuck all people do that. Most people send me page one of the a chapter they wrote last week. Like, it is not super polished work. That's fine. I accept it. Thank you very much for your submissions. But there is so much to be learned in just going back through stuff and and working it and trying to see it through to the end and it, you know as you go on you'll always reach a point in a novel's life unless you're producing stuff at, at white hot speed you'll you'll always reach a point in your writing where um new ideas for new stories start bleeding in and and kind of like calling to you like phantoms going tim i mean they wouldn't call you tim unless your name is tim in which case um hello uh name buddy but um the, you know they'll, they'll they'll call to you with their kind of like promises of 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 greater fictive thrills tim tim write about us tim don't write about the boring bullshit you've spent 2 years working on tim readers and millions lie with us Tim I've not really committed to that bit um the point is it's so easy to sort of give up on something uh halfway through or a third of a way through and sometimes there's wisdom in that right if you get to your first you start writing your first page and you go actually I don't like this maybe it's worthwhile stopping but after a certain point I think it's actually more effort to, to give up and move on to the next thing than it is to see it through uh Neil Gaiman his most common bit of creative writing advice that he gives i think just because it's easy to tweet his um finish things but i think he, he's sincere as well i'm sure i didn't mean that but um i get what he means that when you see things through when you finish them it doesn't mean that those things are all going to be product that you can then flog for money and lodgings um the, the point of it is that creative writing and especially novel writing but short story writing as well there's a there's a long arc to the process and you need to learn all of the bits of that arc if you're going to start producing stuff that is um, that honours the amazing ideas you have. You know, the, the, yes, that is of a professional standard, but sometimes a professional standard is quite shit. You know, a lot of authors churn out stuff that's really, really shite. Um, but they found a readership for it and it works for some people on some level. That's not the standard that I think you should hold yourself to. The standard you should hold yourself to is writing something at a level that honours the beauty and the wonder of those butterflies that were once flitting around your head in all the colours of the rainbow and more. You want to be able to do something that honours those ideas and that make and, and that and that sees them through and that does doesn't just, you know, pin them to a piece of corkboard and hand them to people as sort of like these dry papery things, but actually transforms them in, into something new. And um the only way you can do that is to go through all of the process, not just farting out you're sort of half a first draft and then kind of losing faith in it and giving up but seeing it through to the end and then going right now knowing all this 
what's this novel about? Who's it about? What are the most interesting parts? Where can I work on this? You write your second draft, where you can find, where you finally know how to write the first page in the first chapter because you finished it and you know how it ends. Then once you've got that second draft, you do a spot edit. Then you find a couple of early beta readers, some mates, and you go, will you read this for me? Tell me what's boring. Tell me what's fucking excellent. What did you love? What? Who are your favourite characters? They give you feedback. You rewrite again. And then you give it to another friend and you say, right, I want you to give this a thorough read. Tell me what shit tell me what to work on and you work through it and you work through it and you work through it and you push yourself to a level of excellence and this isn't about being a dick to yourself and it's not about I know immediately the way I'm talking about it and this is one of this is my my great sickness really it makes it sound arduous and like a grim duty and I don't I don't mean it like that. I think it's exciting um, and, I, and certainly that's been my experience of many parts of the process some of it is painful some of it is tough sometimes you can you know, lose faith in something, but but it's it's, it's keep it because if you also if you keep going, then often you find that on the other side of that barrier of pain, um, you know, like someone running a marathon, something I have never done, um, you find that you get a second wind that that your judgment that this thing wasn't working was not the whole story, and that there was more to come, and if you give up before you've crossed that pain barrier, then you will never know that there is something on the other side. And that barrier will feel more and more insurmountable and more and more of your stories will be stopped before they finish because you will take that as evidence that the story isn't working and that you need to finish based on, quite wisely based on, apparent wisdom, previous experience. But your previous experience was not the whole story. And so you need to see stuff through and you owe it to yourself to see stuff through and and the real transformation and the magic of writing will happen when you see stuff through but now you see why these seven steps are all linked where you one inspire that you're gonna you're gonna breathe in content so i'm not expecting you to be able to see something to the end unless you've steeped yourself in the uh, in the marinade of inspiration if you've not been reading stuff you've not been reading about you've not been connecting with other writers from history if you've not been reading great stories that inspire if you've not been going out into the world and just like drinking deeply of the wonder of the world i do not expect you to be able to see the story through two having a daily practice farting around for 10 minutes every morning 10 minutes of a free write every morning with no expectation of that free write except that it's just a voice or a thing or just gibberish saying i can't write i can't write i can't write but do you write that you are writing pen on paper or fingers on keyboards for that 10 minutes until the bell rings right so i'm not expecting you to be able to see it through if you don't have that base of a daily practice i do not expect you to be able to see it through if you do not plan if you don't have some kind of North Star, some kind of idea, some kind of like question or test or some, you don't have this juicy set piece that you want to realise that you're just going, I cannot wait to write that scene where they have sex in the car factory under the roof press. That like, you've got, you've got this idea and you're going to write this scene these two people having sex in a 1970s Japanese Toyota factory on the production line at night in the section where the roof press is normally pushed down all through it you know there's going to be this pregnant tension of what happens if the line starts up and they get crushed because a worker and one of their colleagues was killed the previous week in that very roof press and 
one of the characters having sex was married to him. And there's something so sad and yet so vital about that moment of them fucking where he died. And you know that if you can just get that scene right, it's going to be just resonant and sad and horrible and kind of sexy in a weird way. And 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 knowing that you've got to get there and you've got to make these characters live and you've got to give them names and you've got to make it good. Um, no, but having like the little glimmer of that scene in your head, you will, you will, that will get you through some shitty times knowing that you're going to write that scene. Like community, I don't expect you to be able to see it through if you haven't got community, if you haven't got friends you can turn to and go, look, I'm having a fucking shit time. And they go, and they and they support you, or they go, me too. Or sometimes they'll go to you, I cannot, I cannot get through this. And you'll say, I bet you can, but if you want to send me something, I'd, lo- I'd love to read it, but I bet you can. Do you want to meet up for a, a coffee and we're going to have some fucking red velvet cake? And we're going to write, we're going to do three hours with breaks in between and whatever comes out of that, let the chips fall where they may, but let's turn up. I don't expect you to be able to do it without community. I do not expect you to be able to do it if you're rushing. If you're saying this has to be done by this date, this has to be done by this deadline. I do not expect you to be able to see it through if you don't take your time. But if you do all those things and you see it through, then my friend... There is no way you can fail to be a novelist. Right, so that went a bit longer than normal. Thank you very much for sticking around. I would love you, if you're still listening now, um, just all the best with your writing. I'm going to come back with a second season soon enough in the meantime i'm going to enjoy hopefully if everything goes all right being a dad um i cannot wait that's my own little adventure that hopefully is going to it's going to feed back into my work that's not the important part of it it's obviously like maintaining a life and loving people and shit but i'm really excited and i'm i'm, I'm lowballing it because i don't want to get cheesy or maudlin or ersatz but i'm I'm really looking forward to it and um, probably my stuff will, when I come back, will will either be gushy or have this sort of like incoherence of someone who's had zero sleep. In the meantime, you can always get in touch with me via my website, timclepart.co.uk, via the contact me link on the right hand side of the page. Would love to hear from you how you're getting on. If you've got a piece of writing that you think is suitable for Death of a Thousand Cuts. Remember, I'm looking for first pages of novels or short stories with a maximum word count of 250 words. Um, I'd love to have your work. And what you could do for me is it would be really, really great if you share the podcast with with people you know, with writers, with writing groups, anyone you think who might be interested in it. Um, I'd really, really appreciate that. Every time someone has done that, it makes it makes a huge difference because we've got, you know, an, I've got a niche audience. Don't really have ways to get it out to too many people. Um, so every time that you share it, that you show it, that you email it to someone, that you post it on Facebook, you post it on Twitter, um, that you give it, give it a review on iTunes, any of those things, let me put a serious bump in uh the listenership so thank you very much for that um if you've got any suggestions or requests for the next season any authors you'd like to hear from any subjects you'd like me to cover 
any stuff you'd like me not to do anymore a few people have suggested stuff from for that um which is fine i appreciate it and i I could not it would be the rankest hypocrisy for me to get to get through three years of 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 telling other people what they're doing wrong and then go what what do you mean what do you mean i i said that and that was stupid or wrong or boring like you thank you i appreciate it's really it's really really kind of you to take the time to to help me out with this i really appreciate it sincerely um but you know any suggestions you've got uh maybe requests for authors you'd like me to interview or feature would love to hear from you um or just you know like i say let me know how you're going on but you know good luck with your writing i will be back solidarity um my dear dear writing friends i'm sure that what you're doing what you've got cooking up is 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 gonna turn out great uh and and just enjoy it because that's the only point of this at the end of the day there's a lot of you know they're Having become a novelist since I started writing this, you know, I was not a professional novelist or indeed a novelist before um, when I started the blog. Now I am. You know, there is, there are some, some of the things I dreamed of, the kind of like feelings of it being good or sort of people going, oh, you've written a book. There is a little bit of that and it is nice, but it is definitely not worth it unless you can learn to take pleasure in the day-to-day process of writing and I sincerely more than anything else I I wish you joy in that moment-to-moment experience of creating stories um thank you very very much for listening to this weird experiment and I will see you in the not too distant future for the second season of Death of a Thousand Cuts thank you very much